Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome back, and today we have a guest from Alberta, Edmonton, the northern part of Alberta, Gary St. Amon from Bissell Centre. So thank you for joining me today, Gary. Well, thank you for having me, Peter. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Okay, so let's start with your academic background. Where did you go to post-secondary school? Yeah, so I went to a school called Providence. uh, uh, At the time, it was Providence College. Now it's called uh, Providence College. University College, and uh, and then also they had a theological seminary that I, I did uh, some of my master's work at as well. Um, so my background is actually in theology, um, and uh, you know I was on a, a path at, in those years to uh, pursue an academic career. Uh, that was my dream at the time, and life uh, as it does. Uh, intervened and uh i'm sorry peter here uh life as as it does intervened and i had um ended up uh working at a youth drop-in center uh in the core of winnipeg where i grew up i grew up in the north end of winnipeg and so that uh was um the space where I was able to then start to get my first taste of working in the um, social service, social innovation sector, if you will. Okay, so quite a transition. Now let's talk about your work background. So you finished your education and then you you worked part-time in or full-time in Winnipeg, and somehow you ended up in Edmonton. Yeah, so uh, after uh, my time working at the Youth Drop-In Center in Winnipeg and and finishing my education, um, we realized that we weren't going to, I wasn't going to pursue that academic path. And, and you sort of asked, well, what do you do with a theology degree? And so I went on to be a minister uh, for a number of years, and uh, which was in, in northern Manitoba. And then from there, um, you know, felt like um, that, uh, you know, wanted to pursue a, a different opportunity, something that allowed me to engage more from a social justice perspective um, in, a, in a really tangible way. And so an opportunity came up to work at an organization called the Mustard Seed here in Edmonton. Uh, and so we pursued that, came to Edmonton, and I worked at that organization for a couple of years uh, until the opportunity to come uh, to Bissell Center uh, presented itself. Um, and then uh, I came in to Bissell as the Chief Programs Officer and filled that role for about three years, uh, and then our CEO transitioned to another organization, and uh, I ended up um, replacing him, and I've been in this role now. I'm in my fifth year as the CEO at this So quite a, 
a, a route, a, a traveled well route in different areas. So let's talk right. about uh, where you are now, the Bissell Center. Many of the people who don't visit Edmonton have not heard about the Bissell Center. So can you give us a little background on what it is, how it started, what the programs are? You bet. So Bissell Center was founded in 1911 by the United Church of Canada. Um, it's about 109 years old then, as a result. Um, and it was founded uh, actually under the name All Saints Mission, uh, and has a great history of uh, supporting people in the Edmonton area. Um, originally, it was actually founded to help Ukrainian uh, immigrants um, settle and land successfully uh, here locally. And now that um, you know that that is not really uh, you know a, a challenge at this point these days in terms of the, specifically the Ukrainian community, but certainly. Um, there are still realities in terms of folks that are coming into the community uh, as newcomers, but also, um, you know, significant uh, challenges around issues of poverty. Uh, and so over the years, uh, uh, Bissell Center's focus and vision has shifted to become uh, one where we have really honed in on the elimination of poverty uh, as our work, as the key uh, lens through which we do our work. Uh, and we are still connected to the United Church of Canada, um, but have an independent board and function um, um, in the, in, uh, operationally uh, independently from them with uh, a few provisos, but, but certainly a positive relationship and conversation with, with the folks that uh, founded the organization. Today, we're about 150 employees. Well, I, actually, I should correct that. Today, we're, we're actually about over 200 employees, uh, but that's because we've had a, a, a balloon in our casual staffing uh, just recently because uh, Bissell Center's been involved in, um, in Edmonton um, in response to the pandemic. There's been a, a collaboration, and uh, about six different uh, agencies have been co-leading together with uh, quite a few other agencies uh, uh, an effort to bring um, a space together in our expo center, uh, which is a convention center here, and to uh, provide opportunity for folks to social distance, uh, have medical isolation, access critical services that aren't available in the community right now. And so we have been heading up uh, a portion of that. We are one of those six co-leads, and, and so we've been um, filling a lot of uh, spaces. And so, you know, to have seen our staff uh, complement grow here uh, temporarily at least uh, that will go back to normal eventually but um, for the time being and then um, so maybe just pre-COVID I, I would just say um, Bissell has about uh, you know just over 20 different programs and services and, and they all are related uh, towards how we can help people get out of poverty and so that ranges from uh, a, 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 an array of housing services uh, employment programs uh, social enterprises. Um, we have um, uh, a strong uh, data uh, uh, team that does work around measuring impacts and uh, not just uh, outputs, if you will. 
so, yeah, a whole range of, of different efforts that we provide. We have current supportive housing for folks with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Um, we have fetal alcohol spectrum services that, and more generally as an outreach program. Uh, so I, I could go on to a, a long list, but that probably gives you a sense of, of, of where we're at. Uh, does that include homeless and incarcerated people as well? So definitely um, it's, it's everyone who is experiencing poverty that needs supports is uh, we will support them. Um, so in the sense of homelessness, we have very specific homelessness programs. In fact, a significant portion of our work is focused on homelessness. And so we're part of, uh, in Edmonton, there is a coordinated effort um, based on the housing first uh, paradigm that we are very involved in. That is facilitated by our um, local housing CBO, uh, Homer Trust. And then um, in terms of incarcerated individuals, we don't have specific programs for folks who have been incarcerated, um, but essentially that, you know, th there's no limitation. If people have been impacted um, in the justice system, we will support them. Um, and I would note that what we do have, though, is a victim services program that is specifically designed to help people who have been victimized um, and are, um, you know, maybe not feeling like they can access the regular uh, victim services supports that are available in the community. And so uh, we provide a, a more accessible option. Well, we've created a couple of interesting programs <laughs> that could maybe work for you out there. One is the Homeless Entrepreneur Program, which can also be done with incarcerated people as well. And mm. We have 150 businesses that could be started for under $50. And we run yeah, that program great. in a couple of areas. The other program that you may find kind of interesting is a, uh, a diary program. And we've done this with homeless youth and homeless adults, where they tell their story about what led them into homelessness and how they're working to get out of it. And some of those diary stories are really quite amazing and very impactful. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's let, great. Let's uh, move into funding, which is always a challenge when you're in in the kind of work that you're doing. How do you go about funding your organization? Um, yeah, it, it is always a challenge, isn't it? Um, the so Bissell has got a. Um, you know, pretty diverse um, set of revenue sources, um, but fundamentally they fall into three sort of big buckets. One would be government contracts, um, and that probably is the largest bucket for us. It's about 65% of our work is funded through government contracts. Uh, some of those are government contracts uh, in the sense that they come from, let's say, our local, our, like, uh, our local housing CBO, uh, Homer Trust, but who is funded either through the federal or provincial governments um, to coordinate the housing efforts locally. So that's uh, one element of that work. And then the second piece of that uh, uh, funding for us would be around um, our fund development. So we do uh, private donations, uh, fundraising work. Um, that's probably about 
I'd say, you know, 20 to 25% of our, of our funding as well. Um, and then we have um, a thrift store and a camp um, and a few other very minor pieces of work that we do that uh, are more of an earned revenue, if you will, uh, stream of, of money. Do you uh, use CSR in terms of gaining support, corporate social responsibility? Yeah, so we are a, um, you know, it, I guess in two ways we, we, we do that. So one is that we uh, are connected with the United Way uh, here uh, in Edmonton. And so uh, that is a, a big part of their effort and, and they have supported us for, you know, decades and decades. They, they were founded, you know, not long after Bissell Center was founded. And um, so that's one piece of that. Uh, the other piece is we do have um, um, some of our team members are, are work directly with businesses to engage them around their CSR programs. Um, we have third party fundraisers and, you know, help with support with those types of efforts and, uh, and then engage people in opportunities to volunteer and to participate directly and, uh, you know, to learn and have educational experiences. So uh, a range of, of efforts that we're doing. We have a team of about um, nine staff on our fundraising and marketing crew that are, you know, have different specializations in our work across the way. And so uh, a, a couple of those are dedicated to focused on, on working with our corporate partners. So, Gary, could you talk about the importance of partnership to your organization? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Bissell Center has always um, valued partnerships, and we have some very long-standing relationships, uh, not only with groups like the United Church of Canada, but but certainly other service providers that we have worked. Um, so I mentioned our inner city victim services program. We also have an uh, inner city recreational services program. And, and those two programs are run uh, in collaboration with uh, another agency called Boyle Street Community Services, who are uh, great service providers here in Edmonton. And, and, and essentially we each have one of those contracts and, and sort of give each other half of the, the time, if you will, it's, it's a little more compli complicated than that, but uh, of, of, so, Boyle Street holds the inner city rec program and, and their team shows up in our space and we hold the inner city victim services contract and our team shows up in their space, for example. So, you know, so, so there's these kinds of historical things that have gone on for years and years and years. Uh, and in some cases, decades um, where we've worked, but I would say, um, you know, really specifically Peter moving as we move into the future here, I think what's becoming clear is that there is, and, and I don't know how true this is in, in places like, uh, Toronto or other major centers, to be really honest, I, I, I would be curious. Um, but uh, in, in here in Edmonton, I, I think there has been a longstanding narrative because we have so many strong um, social service agencies that sometimes groups have felt like, you know, we don't work together. Uh, we don't, um, you know, we aren't, we aren't collaborating enough. And, and we really, you know, have tried to say, well, look, like, you know, we, you know, I had our team list uh, the number of different collaborative tables we sat at. Um, in terms of um, trying to look at system impact work and it was over 30 different tables. You know, when you think of a team of 150 staff, there's a lot of tables to be sitting at. And, and so, you know, that's always been really 
uh, you know, important. But I think now that we're in the middle of this pandemic, and I think we see governments, uh, you know, uh, utilizing a lot of funds to um, try to respond, you know, certainly our concern is that as we move forward, we're going to see increased pressures from a a government perspective, but also from a potentially from a private donation perspective. And so um, we are looking pretty intentionally at how do we leverage our partnerships further to make sure that A, we are being as efficient as we can uh, with our resources and B, that we're really aligning our work to make sure that it's having uh, effective impacts And then, you know, even as we talk about social enterprise and social innovations, uh, opportunities that we can explore where we can start to leverage either ways to generate revenue that aren't uh, reliant so heavily on government or private donations um, and or ways like, you know, I I really like your example of uh, the social entrepreneur program where we can start to leverage capacity. um, For folks. So, and, and I think some of that is how do we partner with business. Um, not from a donor perspective, uh, but from an investor and partner perspective. And, and so an example of that is we have established a training solar array uh, on our one of our buildings. So we have a, a, a solar panel array that um, was, was built in partnership with a solar uh, panel company, and it was designed as a training uh model so that they could actually come and train people Uh, and then we have an employment program and so uh, then we were able to negotiate where uh, some of the folks accessing our employment program could also then come and be trained to do solar panel installation and so uh, here's a win-win-win opportunity uh, where we're doing something good for the environment we're doing something good for folks needing employment and a company now has a solar uh, panel array that they can use to do training and uh, accomplish what they need. So I, I think those are the kinds of, you know, innovative sort of creative ways that we need to look at uh, as we move forward and try to think about what does sustainability and viability look like um, post COVID-19. So a couple more uh, key questions. Why Edmonton only? You seem to have a large organization. Um, with a number of employees, why not cover a larger part of the province? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I think the, there is not, there is not a, um, uh, an intentional limitation to Edmonton, uh, you know, very honestly, Peter, and at, and at times we have discussed that. I think it has just been where Bissell has been at in various moments in its history. It just really hasn't sort of come to the front as um, something that, um, you know, really has been a driver. To be really honest, much of the growth that we've experienced has been in the last, let's say, 10 to 15 years. Um, And so, uh, like, I I looked at um, an annual report from 1998, so I guess that's 22 years ago, and our, our revenue streams at, at that point were two million and, and today we're closer to about 11 and a half million. So, you know, so a lot of that growth, even though we have this long history is, you know, is, is a lot more recent. Um, and so some of that has just been that we've been focused on managing, you know, a lot of the work that we're doing here locally um, and establishing those pieces. But you've created such a great model 
why not replicate it in, say, Calgary or other communities? Yeah, and, and I think that there is certainly opportunity for us to, to explore that. Um, you know, it, it, you know the, assuming that we would have partners like government or other that would want to explore those ideas. We have a program that we, we, are, we are currently trying to explore, you know, whether it could um, get traction and, and become a more provincial focus. And, and we wouldn't necessarily grow Bissell in the sense of we would show up in Calgary, but more in the sense of who could we partner with in Calgary that could, could facilitate this program. So it's, the program is called the Community Bridge. Uh, and it's an eviction prevention program. And so really what it's designed to do is to say, uh, you know, let's say, Peter, if, if, you know, you fell on hard times and you got, you know, you got handed an eviction notice and you're, you, you know, you're a renter and, and you don't know what to do, you could come to uh, Bissell and you could say, look, I, I need help. And we'd say, great. And so then we would help walk you through um, all of the different resources that are available to you in the in terms of government benefits. So, you know, from an Alberta works perspective or these kinds of things. And then we would um, be able to say what, you know, what um, does your income look like? What does your housing look like? Let's get, make sure that you're sustainable moving forward. So basically what got, what got you here? How do we help uh, get you out of here? So we have a financial empowerment program uh, that we run in collaboration with another uh, two local Edmonton organizations here. And so then um, what, you know, so about 50% of the folks who come facing eviction, actually over 50%, uh, end up, that ends up being our primary referral. Uh, they, they end up in that financial empowerment program. So how do we make sure that we're sustainable? And then we have a bit of emergency fund money, if you will, that's a part of that program. But I'm always clear to distinguish this is an eviction prevention program that has an emergency fund. It's not an emergency fund, right? And, and because the important piece of that is it's really about that impact of getting people out of poverty. There's some evidence uh, I've been told that, you know, really demonstrates emergency funds don't necessarily have the impact that people uh, hope they would in terms of, you know, what actually will change for an individual or a family. But in our case, we've been able to measure pretty good uh, housing retention rates um, um, following up uh, from our program. So those, so measurement for us is, is pretty important in that mix. But that is an offering where we go, look, this is actually creating public value. It's reducing costs. Uh, for um, government and others, and we had a, a social return on investment um, study done on that by an independent um, consultant, and they effectively said, you know, uh, that it was, you know, about a three-to-one return on investment, and, and so we, you know, our, our hope is to take that um, to our government, especially as we're facing sort of really tough economic times here, and say, uh, you know, we think that there's value uh, in moving this conversation forward at a, at a larger scale and, you know, and that while it, it may take some investment up front, that in the long run it will save the government significant dollars. Um, and, you know, and then we've even worked with landlords to say, you know, the average cost of an eviction at the time when we did the study in, in Edmonton was $2,500. And so to say, well, listen, if you have an otherwise good tenant and, and you know, let's say they had $2,500 in arrears, uh, would you eat half of that um, of your own costs and we'll pay the other half? And then that way uh, you get to keep your tenant. Um, we help them get back on track and be stable. And, and so while you may lose $1,200 in rent, it would cost you a lot more if you were to evict them. So, you know, trying to think of ways that we can start to, again, 
uh, consider how business becomes partners in that. And, and so, sorry, your question, I'm ramming a little bit off of that, but I think that's the kind of idea where then how could we look at organizations, let's say in Calgary, instead of Bissell saying we have to create a, a, a you know, a, a second site, um, how do we look at groups that are already there doing good work that could uh, capture some of what we're doing and, you know, we could start to build and align uh, our efforts provincially. And I, I think that would be, you know, to, to some degree, we see some of our partner organizations expanding provincially and, and probably from my perspective, I would, I think there are really good organizations existing in, in some of our major cities uh, across Alberta. And, you know, is there a way that we could create sort of a, a version of, you know, the star alliance with the airlines or, or, or something to that effect, a, a collaborative that, that really starts to align standards and, and, um, you know, innovation and, you know, opportunities together. So. Uh, no, I, I, I agree with you. I've seen a lot of organizations in silos not willing to share their information and their ideas. And as a result, there's a lot of confusion out there as to who does what. So I want to move on to a slightly different topic, and it's related to the virus and its impact on your organization. But more important, are there things that you've done during this period of time that you will continue irregardless of when we get back to normal? Yeah. I think the big one comes in around partnerships. So we have been foisted into the this new reality and part of that was to make we made a very intentional decision in a very short window of time to move into that expo center initiative and so we essentially moved the majority of our operations into that space um and that was done in conjunction as i said with a number of other partners and in particular one of those partners um you know we have worked pretty closely with and and we have uh, struck up a conversation together to say, uh, let's uh, leverage this crisis as an opportunity, um, not to say, you know, that's what, you know, not to make that trite, uh, I guess, to be clear, but just to say that still the change has been foisted upon us. So let's not lose that as an opportunity to um, cement um, things that we think would be good moving forward. And so what we are committing to do as, as two organizations that have a lot of opportunities, I think, in, in different ways, uh, is, is to look at a much more integrated uh, partnership together. And, and, you know, what that, you know, what that means, what that looks like, I, I think, um, you know, it's still early days and we're working that out. Um, but I, I, I would say, certainly we are saying, uh, you know, that we are seeing that there is going to be changes, like I said earlier, about funding and resources, and we have to think you know, different and we have to create, uh, you know, some more significant alignment. So I would say that's, that's really the big one there. I think the other piece, Peter, that I would, would say coming out of this is it's really important the lens through which we do our work, uh, the, uh, how that is viewed. And one of the things that I, you know, have been reflecting on really specifically, especially when it comes to the sense of housing and um, folks who are experiencing chronic homelessness is really that um, the work that we do is often viewed through a social disorder lens and, and often gets sort of viewed as more of, um, you know, it's, it's really about sort of uh, 
um, that's kind of a value-based lens to it. And, and so why don't, why don't these, why aren't these people productive? Why don't they just sort of, you know, the old language of pull up their bootstraps and, and get a job. Right. And, and so, uh, or, and, or you know, start a business. Yeah. Right. Well, sure. Right. But I think one of the things that we've, we've, you know, really uh, learned over the years and, and, and this has been, you know, it's not something that's new to us in the pandemic, but I think sort of the intensity of the pandemic has really sort of thrust us to the fore is that the work that we do is public health work. Uh, really it is like when you think about this from a social determinants of health lens, uh, when we talk about housing, when we talk about income sustainability, when we talk about these uh, different initiatives, um, they, you know, we want to say social services, um, and we should be saying, you know, public health. Um, these things are actually contributing to the public health of our community. And, and then when you layer in the lens of trauma, uh, intergenerational trauma, and even acute trauma, and, you know, if people... Uh, you know, it's often people, if they ended up in homelessness and couldn't get out quickly, um, then they are, the experience of homelessness is itself traumatic. Um, not just, I don't mean in a very general way, I mean that there are specific realities that take place while people are homeless uh, on a pretty regular basis in terms of, you know, uh, lack of sleep, um, threat to their well-being, uh, exposure to uh, the elements, and so on that actually create a space where people are impacted and the ability to um, then just sort of get a job um, is, is, is really limited. And, and we don't realize at times, even then when you add in racism, uh, which is, you know, a very live conversation, obviously right now. Uh, and, and, and that, you know, we have really challenging situations and environments and contexts that people are trying to, to not only sort of, survive in, but, you know, to even thrive in is, is seems like a, a bit of uh, a dream for a lot of folks. Uh, we had one of our participants describe being homeless, like uh, being in the, in a, in a, in a dryer on, on the tumbling around in the dryer. And, and they said to us, you know, cause we had tried to tie sort of a, a housing first model to employment and sort of going jobs first and how do we get them right into to working. And, and one of the things they said is, you know, you feel like you get out of the dryer when you get at home, but then you're still like uh, experiencing the disorienting after effects. And so you feel like you're still tumbling, even though you're, you're out of the dryer, if you will. Right. And, and so that was a really sort of poignant kind of uh, um, image for us to sort of go, yeah, the, these things have really significant psychological and emotional impacts on, on folks. And, and we assume that they're that, you know, like when we say, why don't they just get a job? We assume that it's because while well, they've been living just like us, their experience is just like us, but it's, it's not at all. It's been quite different. So how do people uh, reach your organization? Could you provide us with the website? Yeah, you bet. So thistlecenter.org, uh, two S's, two L's, and center with a T-R-E at the end, um, is probably the easiest place where you can access um, information about Bissell Center and where you can uh, make contact with the, the various uh, departments of the organization. Thank you, Gary. Uh, it's Gary Sanderman, who's the CEO of the Bissell Center, a social innovator, and runs a social enterprise that has grown and, and become very successful. Thank you for your time, Gary. Thank you, Peter. Appreciate it, and uh, all the best.